welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay territory within the unceded traditional lands of Squamulu. And today's text, Vampire Academy, takes place in an undisclosed location near Missoula, Montana. And Missoula, Montana, anyway, is the traditional home of the Katunaha and Interior Salish peoples. <laughs> I like that you went with Montana because, folks, as you may know, Brenda was not here when we were talking about the book last week with guest Jenny Nolf. Uh, but it's funny because we're really just talking about the TV show today, and that takes place in generic European <laughs> castle city, which we cannot be bothered to name. Yeah, no, I, um, no, I, I did not. Mm -mm. I watched the TV series, uh, the first three mm -hmm. episodes for today, and I read the book. Joe asked me to please watch the TV series first to see yes. if that contextual information from the book was really necessary to understand what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. How'd you do? <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. I, <laughs> like, I didn't even really, I understood there are Dompiers and there are Mora, Mor, Moroys. Moroy, yep. And there are Strigoys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, like, I didn't know Dragomir was a last name. I thought that was, like, another group of vampires. Oh. I thought the feeders were slaves. I didn't mm -hmm. understand how it was that they seemed to just be connected to the human world by, like, a bridge. <laughs> oh my god the <laughs> geography of this series is so baffling to me i'm not even joking it it's not one of those like oh they set it in an undisclosed location that's bothersome like that's frustrating to us as people who have been trying to do things like land acknowledgements yeah. and recognizing where things are set and recognizing it's important it's not even just that there's a, a point in the TV show, I don't know where it happens, because I've seen eight of the ten episodes. I can only talk about a couple, because obviously, if you're listening to this, not all of those episodes are out on Peacock just yet. But um, there's a point where the queen says something about how there's 12 dominions. And there's an attack at the beginning of episode three on a rival or other school. Like, the action is set at St. Vladimir's Academy. But there's a, an attack at St. Jude's, and it looks identical to St. Vladimir's, so you don't realize it's a different place. I didn't know it was a different place. I didn't no. understand that it was a different place, and I was so confused. And and where is it located, Brenna? Like, where is St. Jude's in proximity to St. Vladimir's? Tell me. Tell me. You can't. You cannot tell me. <laughs> well, please even just tell me where is St. Vlad's in relation to the palace? Because when mm -hmm. things are happening at the palace, they are simultaneously completely unreachable. And also, at one point, Rose just runs from the school to the palace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I figured <laughs> out, it took me almost all eight episodes, is that... <laughs> so this is set somewhere... In Europe. I know, I know. It's filmed in Spain. It's filmed it was in filmed Spain. in Spain. And at one point in, I think, episodes six and seven, they go on a royal tour to Lisbon. So I was like, okay, so it's not set in Lisbon, but it's within driving distance of Lisbon. But yeah, it took me forever to realize that the Academy 
is part of a town that is enclosed by these gates that have, you know, magical wards on them to protect against the Strugoi getting in. But I never got that. <laughs> yeah, it, you're not sure because when you see the aerial shots, it's not clear, oh, that's a city. And St. Vladimir's is just part of that city and also includes like a royal palace, presumably. Like what? <laughs> I, I, my, I, I don't know what we're going to do for plot summary today, Joe, because I can give you a novel plot summary, but it sounds like you've already been down that path. I mm-hmm. don't think I can give you a plot summary of the first three episodes that I watched. I know that it's the same general key characters, right? We have Rose mm-hmm. Hathaway, who is a, a Dompier guardian in training. We yes. have Lissa Dragomir, who's a Morai princess because her whole family is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rose and Lissa have this bond that is really right. unique, although never addressed, by the way, in the in the first three episodes of the TV series. Oh, no, it's a there. plot point throughout the entire first season. It comes out, <sighs> I think, in in episode seven or eight. It's not interesting enough for it to take that long to come out, let me just say. So those two characters are clear enough, but mm-hmm. the relationship between how everything works, like, oh. I... Mm. I didn't even really get that it was a high school, as you know from my confused nope. texts to you, until like sometime around midway through the first episode. The show is not really sure of where it's located. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with supernatural stuff, that's okay, because the larger sort of supernatural like exploration is enough to keep you connected and interested and curious. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I did not find that to be the experience that I had. And no. I was really mad about it because I, <laughs> I'm trying to grow as a person, Joe. And so <laughs> when you were like Vampire Academy, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to like. Yeah, give it a fair shot. I'm going to give it a fair shot. I'm going to go in like being stoked for it and it's going to be great. And, um, and and I watched the first episode and I was genuinely so confused. It's so confusing. <laughs> No, you're you're absolutely right. And the reason I asked you to watch the show before reading the book, because you and I both often read the book and then watch whatever yes. the adaptation is. Almost always. So we're almost always going in with contextual information that if the adaptation doesn't do all of the filling in of the blanks, we've got that knowledge already. Yeah. So we can kind of do it naturally. But in this case, I was watching this with Brian, my husband, and he had watched the movie with me. Because we both love Zoe Deutsch. You heard us talk about it last week with Jenny. You know, she's comedically very funny. The movie is much more of a horror comedy. Mm. And they drop a lot of the mythology to kind of give you, here's what Dompier do. They protect the Maroi. Somebody wants to hurt Rose and Lissa. Go. Mm. And it's so much more streamlined and therefore accessible. But yeah, I think we were about three or maybe four episodes into this TV series and I just turned to Brian and said, I don't know how anyone who hasn't read the books or maybe watched the movie is going to understand this. And then you were like, I have just the experiment I can run on this. <laughs> I have a case study and yes, she's the perfect subject for it. But yeah, I mean, I think one of the big challenges is that this comes from a person who has been down this road before. So mm-hmm. this series was co-created by Marguerite McIntyre, which was fascinating to me because I know her as an actress, 
you know, she plays Kyle's mom on Kyle XY. And she also has ties to the Vampire Diaries. And that's important because the woman who co-creates the show with her is one Julie Pleck, who is the woman who co-created the Vampire Diaries, the originals, and so on. So, Brenda, oh. do you remember when we covered the Vampire Diaries and you watched no. a couple of those episodes? <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, no, and this is, I'm not being funny. I mean, I am being funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of being funny. I was genuinely trying to remember what the Vampire Diaries was and how different mm-hmm. it was from this. And I, I just apparently just have a big black hole in my brain where the Vampire Diaries used to be. I don't know. I mean, admittedly, that was another that was another episode where uh, we had a big distance between when we read it and when we covered it because you had had some family stuff going on. So we had to delay the recording a bunch. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, can we stop, Joe? Can we stop scheduling vampire texts? They seem to be hazardous to my family's health. <laughs> uh, no, but point taken. <laughs> The reason that Julie Pleck is important is because the narrative that we're seeing unfold on Vampire Academy is very reminiscent of how storytelling was done on The Vampire Diaries, where Mm. there's way too many characters. They're all ridiculously attractive. Every single episode seems to center around some kind of ball or dance or festival uh, ceremony, ritual. Yes. And... It seems like it's more of an excuse to do drama, put people into close proximity to one another who hate each other, who love each other, give them an excuse to dress up in very I was going to say, the puffy dresses clothing. seem to be very important. <laughs> the dresses are great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this one is taking a weird sort of medieval look, whereas the yeah. film was very much like, oh, it's private school chic. So it's a choice. And, and it feels very evocative of everything that Julie Pleck did on her CW shows, Mm. and she was very successful with those. The problem here is that the mythology is incredibly convoluted, but the acting is fine. It's not Mm -hmm. great. Mm -mm. And I find that a lot of these characters don't have great chemistry. So even though I'm going to praise the two leads, because I actually think that the two girls are the best part of this show. The dudes are all really wooden, though. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like some of them are very attractive to look at, but that is not enough to merit 50 minute episodes times 10. Well, no, and it's confusing, too, because the vibe that I get from the show is that it's supposed to be sexy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it oh, is yeah. not. It is not sexy. Because no. nobody has any chemistry. And like, no. it's interesting because one of the things that I was struck by in the novel is how very chaste it is. Like it, it oh, gave yeah. me gave me Twilight vibes in the sort mm-hmm. of the chastity narrative, but also the, the sort of also yeah. Oh, so much slut shaming! Oh my gosh. Um, mm-hmm. but also you'll be happy like, to know we do drop blood horror only once in the TV show. <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> um, but I don't know. As I said, it gave me kind of Twilighty vibes because of yes. that. But when you get to this show, it's shot like a CW show, I guess. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why I was expecting a certain amount of, like, sexy teens stuff. And you get, like, a intercourse shot, like, right in the beginning of episode one with, like, a dude's mm-hmm. butt and stuff. But Oh, yeah. So you're set up to expect something. But then, yeah, as I say, all the dudes are really, really wooden. And uh, mm-hmm. there doesn't seem too much chemistry. But what there is in both the text and the TV series, what I've seen so far is some real, like, queer-coded subtext between Rose and Lissa. Yeah. 
that never Which they gets don't want to pull the trigger on. No. no. So instead mm-hmm. it just, because they're the only two characters who are compelling and have chemistry (laughs) and and because you spend the whole book waiting for them to kiss and they never do it's Mm. like what what a missed opportunity in the tv series to have some kissing yeah i mean i can understand with the book because we're talking about as we said last week this is a book from the mid-ish to late 2000s so there's a lot of things that just haven't aged well we weren't doing as much of this kind of stuff Mm. but this tv show yeah like we do have two queer couples. So we have J. August Richards, who plays Lissa's kind of de facto guardian after her parents and brother are killed in the opening car accident. So he takes her on, but he has a husband, which is new. He's also mm-hmm. much, much younger in this version than in the book, where he's meant to be kind of old and dying. Is he? He's not disabled in the TV series, is he? Or did I just miss that? So it comes out at about the halfway point. Okay. So his illness does start to reveal itself, but it happens very quickly. Like they don't integrate it in the same way you would expect, like they do in the book where he shows up and, you know, he's got a hand tremor and then it gets worse later on. Right. They they kind of accelerate that, but they introduce it quite late in the series, which surprised me. So he has a husband, which is like, okay, cool. We're doing uh, queer people of color, which is refreshing Mm -hmm. and nice. He and his husband have no chemistry, and the husband is not a character. So, Mm -hmm. eh. (laughs) And then he has two adopted daughters. So Sonia is the girl who can talk to birds and levitate Mm -hmm. occasionally. She's an interesting character. Um, She's kind of filling in the role of Lissa's roommate from the book. So she's the one who turns evil at the end. Oh, Natalie. She's Natalie from the book. I thought she was a rewrite of Miss Carp. Yeah. So there's no Miss Carp in the TV show at all. Yeah. So she's kind of both those characters. And then he also has a second daughter who is Mia. And this is a a big difference from the book. So Mia is the kind of human antagonist. Well, human. She's a Baroi antagonist in the book who goes after Lissa and Rose a lot. And she's kind of despicable. But also, as we said last week, she's really been mistreated by this family in ways that the book never seems to want to acknowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. And here in the TV show, they've actually softened her. So she's still kind of a B word, but she's not half as bad. She's just kind of been left on the outside because she's not technically a royal. So she doesn't get to do a lot of the fun things that the other Maroi do. She doesn't get invited to the Maroi reindeer games. In the TV series, she's sort of the holder of gossip and she decides when to like drip it out. Yeah. And then weirdly enough, that role gets transitioned over to Tatiana, who is Lissa's competitor for the throne in later episodes. I don't uh, know whether I you met her, far. but Mm-mm. you you technically met her because she's the one who Lissa's brother, Andres, is having sex with at the party oh, in the first episode. Okay. So she comes back. I, we need, can we, I have some questions about the... <laughs> just a few, just a few. <laughs> The Moroi social structure? No, it, I, I cannot help you with this because it doesn't make <laughs> any sense. Because there's like, there's royal Moroi and then there's yes. like regular Moroi. And yes. all Moroi are like better than humans. But Well, humans barely even exist in this world, apparently. Like there's a point where they actually go on an excursion to the human world. And I think episode seven or maybe eight. Oh, you mean over the magical bridge? <laughs> 
Mm, yeah, apparently it's right there, but none of them understand what like human music is. They're like, what is this? It's so interesting. And I'm like, we've had repeated scenes where we're at a Dampier <laughs> club and you're listening to music and it sounds exactly the same. Because like Dampier Dom, Dom, are half human, half vampire, right? Yes, okay. and then to get more Dompier. But they can only mate with Morois. They can't yes. mate with other Dompiers because they're basically mules if they mate together. Correct. Okay, yes. and then we also have humans. Um, and the humans are effectively like just a feeder class. Yeah, but that's only select volunteers. So in the TV series, we only see one in the entire time. And how do those humans get brought in as i mean in the book it's this really gross like drug metaphor where basically Mm -hmm. like they find people on the streets and turn them into addicts yeah addicts for the sort of dopamine high you get when a vampire Mm -hmm. sucks on you or whatever yep and then the other thing that you need to know if you're new to the world of vampire academy and i realized you guys talked about this last week but like vampires aren't immortal no they can just die in a car crash yeah, and they're also kind of useless. Like, the yeah. reason that we have Dompiers is because vampires cannot protect themselves under any circumstances. They're it's... basically just, they're like humans who have to drink blood. And that's they're, it. Like, they're like they're humans who are weaker yes. and they have to drink blood. And this comes from the book, but like the part that I found fascinating is there's this one sort of throwaway line that Mead throws out in the book where she's like, we have representatives in the human government. And I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. what? Wait, like, what? <laughs> what? Well, A, Y, B, what? Mm-hmm. C, as near as I can figure, you're just a series of weird private schools that the people who live near you are avoiding because you sketch them out. <laughs> like, I just, uh, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people who are listening who have read the whole series, it's six books, right? Like, yes. does this does this mythology and social structure get ironed out in the rest of the books? Or do you just spend all the books being this confused? Because I gotta know. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of something I struggled with with the TV show too, because at one point they introduce a character named Adrian, who seems to kind of come out of nowhere. He's like Lissa. He's a spirit walker. And He's a really weird figure because he's almost like Dionysus where he self-medicates with booze and drugs so that he doesn't get visions and he's not tempted to use his healing powers. And it's really fascinating. And I was like, oh, what's this? You know, he wasn't in the movie, wasn't in the book. And then I discovered, oh, he's a character from later novels. Mm. So part of me wonders if some of the confusion about the hierarchical structure of like, the queen, the dragomirs and the royals versus the non-royals and all this other stuff. I can't help but wonder if it's because they're trying to adapt things from later books for fans, but it just makes it so confusing. Like Mm -hmm. every episode, if you just got away from all of the mythology stuff and just focus on what's happening with Rose, what's happening with Lyssa, I think the series would be kind of enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that there's at least 16 main and secondary <laughs> characters. I'm not even joking. No, I, I know. You're I right. I'm laughing out. because I, uh, yeah. And they all seem to have their own subplots, many of which are romantic, which as we talked about, no chemistry with anyone. No. And then there's all this mythology. And every episode, it seems like they introduce new mythology. Like, 
the way that we're going to select the next uh, king or queen is we're going to put them through elemental trials where they get burnt or suffocated because we're taking away their air. And you're like, cool, cool. Okay, this is going to be like a couple of episodes, right? No, it's a montage, Brenna. And then we're moving <laughs> on to the next thing. It's like, could you slow down for five minutes? Yeah, it, it's it's a series that doesn't really know what is interesting and i kind of got i kind of felt like that with the book a little bit too like a little bit but the book feels a bit more palatable like you're spending so much much time with just rose like it's a weak part because rose can be a bit frustrating in the book but at least you're seeing everything through her perspective so Uh, yeah and the way they use the connection between the two of them to break mm-hmm. up that narrative monotony and give right. us um, the inside view from Lissa's perspective, I thought was actually mm-hmm. genius. Yeah. And yeah. a really nice way to break up what could have otherwise been a bit much because Rose is a bit much. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, but then you switch to the TV series where you have no interior world for no. any of these characters at all. I can't mm-hmm. tell any of the guys apart, frankly. And <laughs> I just I just felt like, I don't know, I was just so disappointed, Joe, because I was trying really hard to not have a very Brenna reaction to this TV series. And mm-hmm. it, it made me, Joe, it made me. It's honestly one of the worst TV shows that we've covered <laughs> on the podcast. I'm not trying to be mean. I watched eight of the 10 episodes. That's all that was available to me. I also have a review on Bloody Disgusting if folks want to hear me try to synthesize this into about 900 words. But it's just, it's so frustrating at every turn. Mm -hmm. Like the creative decisions that were being made behind the scenes don't make sense to me. This Mm -mm. doesn't feel like how you should put together a TV show And I really feel like Julie Plack did this to herself because she took the wrong lessons away from the Vampire Diaries and the originals. Like, it worked for her there, and it does not work for her here. Let Rose and Lissa kiss challenge 2022. Oh, there is that, too. I mean, like, recognize what you freaking got. I mean, and I, you're right. I get why that's not explored in the novel. And I even sort of get why that wouldn't be explored in the film. But I don't understand why a TV series made for Peacock streaming in 2022 wouldn't just make those two protagonists queer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I never got to it. So Mia and Meredith, who is one of Rose's competitors on the damp year, uh, they also start hooking up. But it's it's kind of out of the blue to the point where you think, oh, wait, are they supposed to be interested in each other? Oh, suddenly they care about each other. Got it. Got it. Okay. I just feel like the show is also very, very interested in the spectacle of vampires. So mm. we spend a lot more time, you know, like the the scene where the Strigoi storm, what turns right. out to not be St. Vladimir's, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. That scene where they storm and attack and destroy is like, there's just so much energy put into like the fear of that oh, moment sure. and slow motion fight choreography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want to be like, you want to turn to the director and be like, but I don't know where this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you want to show me these slow motion fights and the drama of the Strigoi and the way they can like climb up the walls. And they're very scary. They're mm-hmm. so much scarier than the vampires because they actually fight. Well, it's because they actually are the vampires that we know from every yes. other text, right? Like, yes. this is what we expect when we hear the word vampire. And then most of the vampire, quote unquote, action that we get in the show 
is Maroi, where it's just people dressing up in like Victorian dresses and going yeah. to balls. Okay. Yeah. Also, they're more like witches. <laughs> they well, it's funny. Right before um, the car crash, uh, I guess it's Aaron. Andres. Andre, right. He flashes the vampire teeth at Lissa and she flashes hers back. And it's yeah. like, if that moment didn't happen, you would you get all the way through the beginning and you'd be like, which ones are the vampires? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. just not clear until that one little brief scene with the feeders, who I thought were enslaved <sighs> people. So, yeah. 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 I want to give it credit because we are trying to do something completely different with vampires. But then we also have these Strigoi who are so clearly what we know of vampires. And even the very tenuous way that people go from Maroi to Strigoi. It's like, it's basically the equivalent of, if you think a bad thought, you become a Maroi. <laughs> I'm being Strigoi, facetious. Strigoi. Yes. There's a desire in the original text to make sort of a story about vampires that isn't at its heart grotesque, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is very much the Twilight impulse too. Like, what if we are vampires, but we never talk about the yucky bits? Right. Just talk about the kind of romantic, hierarchical power bits. And I totally get that impulse. But you're right. Having the contrast of the Strigoi in the same book... And worse in the same series when the Strigoi are so much more visually representative of vampires. It mm-hmm. just makes the Moroi seem extremely boring. Like, why would yeah. you choose to be a Moroi if you're not a Moroi royal? Like, I don't understand why all the non-royal Moroi's don't just bite the Moroi's, become Strigoi's, <laughs> and take over the world. Like, right. what is stopping them from doing that? A good union movement? I will labor drive for these people. <laughs> yeah, apart from the fact that apparently the Strigoi are incapable of controlling their emotions, which is something that I've gathered <laughs> both the book series and hypothetical future seasons of the TV show would both explore because there's a significant uprising where Strigoi have begun mobilizing and working together. And I mean, the the TV show literally opens with Here's what a Dompier is. Here's what a Maroi is. Here's what a Strigoi is. And the story of two girls, unlikely friends, who are going to overthrow this outdated system. And I'm like, okay, I get it. That's why all this mythology is in there. But also, I need to see more overthrowing. Yeah, the overthrowing needs to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is kind of BS. And it's frankly a little boring. Like, even when you're introducing random new things that don't make sense every single episode... that's what happens when a maroi directs an episode you get an episode an episode (laughs) it makes me wonder yeah you know clearly the strigoi are getting their act together so why don't more people just embrace that darkness because it seems like you get to do more what you actually want yeah the selling features as i say for a non-royal maroi are not at all clear to me Mm -mm. and i think too you know part of what you're describing like this strange experience of being bored while just constantly having your eyeballs attacked um, is really, it's really unsettling. And I think it ultimately comes down to the fact that there's very little to hold on to in the TV series. A lack Mm -hmm. of chemistry and a lack of meaningful character development mean that we don't have any relationships with these folks and they don't have any relationships to each other. So no matter what you do with the Strigoi, the stakes are never going to be high enough because we don't care about these people. Yeah, I think an even bigger problem with the TV show compared to the book is like, 
the name is academy. The suggestion yeah. is they're either high school or they're college, but like they're there to learn things. Yeah. The TV show has no interest in sending any of these Mm-mm. people to class. We do get to see a lot of montages of Rose badly behaving during practice. Uh, sidebar, I have no idea when the Dompier ever sleep because apparently yeah. they're up all night guarding the Maroi, but then they're also up during the day doing practice. And I'm like, are they battling and doing all this stuff on two hours of sleep? Sidebar yeah. over. No, it's a good question, though, because they also, they're entitled to vacation time, but the good, it's this very mm, much like a university to me, right? Sure. <laughs> You're entitled to time off, but the but good don't ones don't it. actually take it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because Dimitri <laughs> took it once and then his charge died. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you've got, and but then the irony, the deep-seated irony is that you have... Rose, who profoundly resents her mother's absence from her life, mm-hmm. while simultaneously training to be nothing to but her. absent in the lives of the people she cares about. For sure, yeah. But it's like, we we see throughout the series, Rose is battling to become the best on here. There's a leaderboard that we constantly have to focus on that means nothing. And it's just weird because it seems like that's all she does. Like, she doesn't mm-hmm. learn or go to any other classes. And it just truly diminishes the worth of setting this at a school. Like, why don't you just say this is a compound where vampires live? Yeah. Like, why are we pretending it's a school? It doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) I do want to make one Canadian shout out. Okay. Which is Andre Dai Kim, who plays uh, Christian. Yes. That's Lissa's sort of boyfriend paramour but she's not allowed to be with him because his parents turned stragoy yes he is uh an alumni of degrassi both Mm. the next generation and the next class okay who is like a super dorky character and now he's like a forbidden fruit vampire so go andre dykem yeah he's fine yeah he's fine he's definitely the prime example of a little bit wooden and no sexual chemistry with the person he's supposed to be dating Uh uh-huh it's a big problem considering that there's supposed to be the romeo and juliet forbidden romance thing well in general i feel like and i only made it three episodes in but i feel like the tv series doesn't invest enough in the actual stories and Mm -hmm. so you know, we've we've watched a lot of YA texts with bad chemistry. Like, it's a sure. pretty... It, it's a prevailing issue. Yeah. It's a prevailing issue. But we've still, you know, you might not believe, like, the sexual tension, but you can still believe the romance even when the chemistry is not bad. Hmm, okay, yeah. Sorry, even when the chemistry is not great. Right. I mean, we've watched entire romance films with, <laughs> with yeah. fairly bad chemistry. But I feel like here, I don't understand enough about any of these people Mm-mm. In fairness, by the end of episode three, right. to understand why they would want to be in relationships with each other, why they're pursuing each other. Like, so you either need chemistry that, like, there's this magnetism that you can't overcome, mm-hmm. this this series that is all set up to be super sexy, right. or you need some relationship building. You can't have none of either. <laughs> yeah. 
And this is a certain issue with a lot of YA texts is that the presumption is that we need slash want kissy time. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to partner up a bunch of these folks. And the question is, who gets to shack up with who? And will we have some queerness in there? Will we have, you know, like in the book, ageism, which is uncomfortable and weird. But it feels like in the TV show, they just said, oh, well, a bunch of these people need to hook up. So let's just throw them together. And it's like, but these aren't even characters. We don't know anything about (laughs) them. We don't understand why they would hook up. And it feels like you're just doing this because you need people's faces to mash together. Yeah. And I think in particular, Christian's character, like, without the context of the book, when Christian's character is introduced as his parents having become Strigoi, Mm -hmm. there's absolutely no explanation by that point in the series of what Strigoi are. Uh, (laughs) What are you talking about? We have it in the opening thing every episode, Brenna. (laughs) But, like, just that they're... just their names right yeah. this idea of like all mm-hmm. the kind of context and mythology is i don't know how this is possible joe but the tv show seems simultaneously too heavy-handed and not mm-hmm. giving you enough detail when it comes to the mythology yeah it's it's baffling legitimately baffling anyway don't watch it <laughs> don't watch it unfortunately yeah this is uh it's not worth your time it does feel like you become invested enough in mm-hmm. at least the performances that it sort of finds its footing around episode four or five but i can't say that even when it ends on a huge cliffhanger in episode eight which again is the last episode i've seen it still doesn't feel like appointment television like i was actually happy to say oh there's no more episodes okay cool i can walk away yeah yeah i um sometimes when i don't have enough time before we get to the show to have watched Mm -hmm. as much as i want i'm disappointed right that's not not how i feel today no (laughs) Yeah, sad face. Yeah. So sorry, folks, if you want good vampire content, you'll need to look to the other 10 or 20,000 YA texts that tread this same territory. (laughs) For sure, for sure. All right. Joe, where are we going next week? Uh, Thankfully, yes, we are done with Vampire (laughs) Academy after a two-week. Bye. (laughs) Talk to you never. And um, we're going to head for greener pastures, but we're going to do some time traveling, Brenna. So we are finally dipping into Paper Girls. So we are, I think, Brenna, you're going to finally get around to watching all the episodes. So there's eight episodes. I think we're going to cover the first two volumes of the comics. That should account for around the same time period. But uh, yeah, Brian K. Vaughn and a great great cast of girls on this tv show so excited and then after paper girls we'll be heading to book club to read the witches by roald dahl uh there'll be a lot to talk about here and i know that lots of you have read it we'll also be watching the film from 1990 so if you want to get in touch with us with thoughts about book club the best way is always email you can find us hkhspod at gmail.com but if you've got something shorter you just want to share i don't know better examples of vampire texts sure. uh, you can find us at hkhs pod or on the hashtag hkhs pod joe where do they find you i can be reached at b stole my remote and that's the letter b and i'm at brenna c gray that's gray with an a so you're reading and watching paper girls and you're reading and watching the witches mm-hmm. and uh i'll see you on the page and i will see you on the screen And I, Joe asked me to please read, watch, bleh.
He played Winston okay. Chu, who was like super dope. Do- the reason that Julie Pleck is important is because the kind of narrative that we're seeing unfold in the vampire. Hmm? 